How many of you guys have ever worked the night shift? Anyone? Night shift? Oh, yeah. Parents, you can raise your hands too, right? If you are a parent, you've worked the night shift, you know? You know, waking up with the kids at night, stuff like that, that's, that's working third shift. Well, I think if you've worked the night shift, you know the uniqueness of the night shift time. Uh, while the nation sleeps, uh, you're awake. Uh, there's times that you can kind of feel like an outsider. You're on a different rhythm than most of the people that are living life. It can feel lonely at times. And sometimes it can feel kind of eerie working the night shift. If you've worked at plants or other places and most um, things are not running as full at nighttime maybe or not as many people around, it can feel a little eerie. Well, during the summers, uh, I worked at a camp and I had to work the night shift sometimes at the camp. And the night shift was guarding the camp. And uh, this camp was in the middle of nowhere in the Ozarks. And uh, our job, again, was to make sure no one uh, broke into camp. And what they gave us was a long flashlight and a walkie-talkie. Why they thought that was going to help, I don't know. Um, all I know is they could easily overcome me with all I having is a long flashlight. But that was the job. And at that job, you wanted to make sure that things did not get crazy. You wanted it to be quiet. You did not want to hear noises. And there were really a lot of times, times of moments of reflection, of pondering, of quietness. And when I think about working the night shift at this camp, I also wonder, that kind of fits into what you're seeing today in the passage. A bunch of individuals working the night shift. And if there was a kind of profession you didn't want things to get crazy at, it was shepherding. They would want a quiet night, a silent night. But here in the passage this morning, we see that God decided to enter the quiet in the silence with his message of salvation to third shift workers. Well, if you have been around at Christmas time, around church, you probably have heard this passage in Luke 2 many, many times. But I hopefully you will see the significance of the Christmas story today and not just kind of let it roll over you like maybe in the past. That you would see, who does this, Christian, this Christmas story come to? What was the message of the story? And what was their reaction? Again, what is the significance of this Christmas story and who it comes to? What was the message? And what was their reaction? So let's look, shall we? Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. 
you'll find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, for praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. The word of the Lord. We're just joining us. We've been going through Advent. We're in the Advent season. We're taking a little break from going expositionally through a larger section of Scripture. We're going to be going through Acts, starting uh, the book of Acts, starting in January. And what we've seen in these past few weeks that we've talked about Advent and looked specifically in the book of Luke, also the writer of the book of Acts, is we see there's a lot of waiting in the Bible. Prophets, they wait for a king. Zechariah and Elizabeth wait for a child. Mary waits for Jesus and what it might be like to raise the Son of God. We've seen lots of individuals waiting. We've seen priests wait and kings wait. We've seen Mary wait. But we wonder in this Advent season, how about us? How about the common folk? Not priests or kings or Mary. Does, is there an arrival for us? Is there a coming for us? That's what I think makes this passage in Luke 2 so good. The message to the shepherds is a good word to the common person, to all of us. That Jesus... The message of his birth, it first came to the common person. So here we are. The third announcement by angels in the book of Luke about the birth of Christ. Not just to a family member, but to the common person. The night shift worker. Now there's a lot of debate about shepherds. I, if you've heard sermons on this passage, I've heard many times people say, well shepherds were dirty or they were thieves or they were looked down upon in Israelite culture. A lot of commentators get that from second and third century historical writings about shepherds um, that talk about shepherds in a disparaging way and also what they observed at that time. I do not think that is what the biblical message is trying to convey about shepherds. We have to realize in the Bible the Israelites had a rich history with shepherds. Abraham was a shepherd, Moses a shepherd, David a shepherd. In the New Testament, they talk about church leaders being shepherds. They're seen in a positive light. So therefore, what is being communicated? By God talking to the shepherds first about the birth of Christ. Well, I think it's a picture 
of the message of the gospel, the good news, coming to regular people. Now, shepherds might not be the thieves that maybe the second and third century conveyed them as, but they were the lower, lower strata of Israelite culture. They were people that were outside of the town. But even these people were given the message of Jesus, and they were the first to receive it. I love what Tim Keller says about this passage in Shepherds. He says, shepherds got an angel, and we got shepherds. See, shepherds got to hear from an angel about the birth of Christ, and now, 2,000 years later, we hear the account of the shepherds in seeing the angels. And many of us might wonder, why don't I get an angel? Why don't I get an angel to tell me about Jesus and his birth? Why do these third shift workers get the message from an angel and I don't? Well, I think it just conveys the message of the gospel. The gospel comes to the humble. It's not an elitist thing. It's not simply to the priests or those that are in the Holy of Holies. It's those who work hard jobs. Those that are outside of the city. God's message even comes to them. This is what I find also interesting. God's power in conveying his message to the nations, to Israel. He can do it through those that might be considered the least accomplished. Those that do not have title. Those that have some great name. God is showing that his power is so great that he works through the least of these, the most humble of these. That God is showing that it's not title that makes you significant. It's not name that makes you significant. No, it is his greatness. And he even works through shepherds watching their fields by night. I've gotten into lately the TV show Forged in Fire. Has anybody watched that show on the History Channel? It's totally nerdy. It's really nerdy. And I love it. So what it basically is, is these guys and gals um, get like a sword or some um, weapon through history that's made with steel. And then they have to go home to their home forges um, that are like... It's like shacks and like their garage and like it's out in the country, all these different places. And they like forge this sword and then they try to do the competition. And I love it. You see that, first of all, it, it, these guys don't go back to New York City. They don't have homes in the suburbs or in the city or in L.A. or in Chicago. No, they're in like remote places in Vermont or like Nebraska, towns I've never heard of and they are rough people I mean their hands are probably twice as big as mine and they're just covered in soot and when I think of the shepherds I think of these kind of tough guys and gals kind of in the remote places for some of us guys that play softball on Sunday night right it's those guys we play against they're drinking bush light before the game. 
They're drinking Keystone. They've got, again, hands that are twice as big as mine. And they're rough. I found it very interesting through my Christian life, going to seminary and being around other Christian workers and pastors, some of the stories that I hear about guys that got into ministry. And some of these guys are, are not guys that, you know, liberal arts degrees or, you know, grew up in rich kind of families. But they're rough stories about guys who God came to in a third shift job. That a co-worker gave them a Bible. They were transformed by the gospel. And they said, I need to let others know about this. Because God had changed my heart of steel into a heart of flesh. I just had a conversation this week. I get the chance about every other month to assess church planters. And we've been doing it now via Zoom because of the pandemic. And this couple that I was interviewing are going to be planting a church in probably one of the tougher spots in the United States. And this uh, young man, late 20s, early 30s, he talked about how his father was a very rough man. And for the, 13, the first 13 years of his life, he was verbally abused, physically abused. It was very rough. And then at 13, his dad was transformed by the gospel. And he was totally changed. And even through all that rough background and the, the early 13 years of a lot of formation in him, and he had to work through a lot of that with his dad, that seeing his dad changed by the power of God led him into ministry. And now has led him into planting a church in some of the roughest places in the United States. So, for those of us that say, where is our angel? God says, I gave you probably something even more powerful. I gave you shepherds. I've shown my power by the transformation of people's lives and their hearts. And that is how the message went forward. Maybe some of you might feel like a shepherd. You're hard. And you wonder, it seems like Christianity comes to guys who wear these designer sweaters, right? Who work first shift. White collar guys. Seems like the Christmas message is for those that have lots of presents under the tree or put together families. Comes to those that are doing well. I want to speak to you this morning. If your heart, your heart might be hard or you feel like you have been left out, God came to the third shift. He came to those that were outside the city first to give them a message for those of you that think you've been left out of the story 
You've been left out of Christmas. Let this story encourage you that you have not been left out. If we're very honest, all of us probably feel like outsiders at times. And this message to the shepherds is a message to all of humanity. Though we feel separated in darkness and we might be far away, God has broken into the darkness with his powerful light. And he has given us a message of hope. Well, there's one thing you did not want to be at, at the camp that I went to in the summers. And that was a rookie counselor. The reason is because we would pick one counselor a year that was on the night shift to scare the heck out of him. Uh, okay, I'm sad to say I was one of the guys that went out and scared the guys. And so one time we had this old pickup truck. We took it outside of camp. And now they're sitting at the gate. So this night watchman sitting at the gate in a car. We drove into camp, through, flying through the gate with a huge spotlight, shined it on his eyes with these guns that we had loaded with blanks, firing at him. Scared to death, right? So after he found out it was us, there was relief, then anger, then laughing. But that's kind of what we did to scare those rookies. I wonder, we seem to like to celebrate people getting scared. Right? That's what Luke chapter 1 and 2 are. Three different people get freaked out. You know? I wonder why we like this so much. Do we get a kick out of people getting scared in the middle of the night like shepherds? Why are we celebrating this? Now, I, I know you can give me my answers and stuff like that. But you got to realize, when angels come, when God in his holiness comes down to earth, that's not always a great thing. Really, it says what the heavenly hosts, that's the idea of an army coming. We studied this in Amos. It's called the Lord of hosts. And when God came to the Israelites in the book of Amos, it was not a great thing. That means he was coming with his power and his judgment. Sometimes we forget God coming in his glory is not hugs. This is a holy God showing up to a rebellious world. This is your parents showing up early from the party you're still throwing at home, right? When all your friends are still there, the parents show back up. That's God showing up to a rebellious world. But something is different here. Angels communicate constantly. Do not fear. Peace, shalom, joy, good news. Even with God breaking into this world, a holy God coming into a rebellious world, the good news is this. One is born, a Savior, Messiah, the Lord, who brings reconciliation and healing between the rebellion, between heaven and earth. 
You know, this is a story we've heard many times. And again, this kind of language and these titles and these names of Jesus kind of roll off our back. Savior, Christ, Lord. But let's take a moment to think about how significant these words and titles are. This is one of the two times in Scripture that these words are all put together. And it's describing a baby born in a manger, in a cattle stall. And here these are rich Old Testament themes describing Jesus. Savior, an Old Testament theme about someone that saves the people from war or disease. Christ, meaning an anointed one, a Messiah, a king that comes, a good king to save people. And again, it's reference to born in the city of David, meaning that, okay, here's a king like David that's even greater, a Messiah that's come. Lastly, Lord, this isn't simply a human. This is the God-man entering the world. This is God dwelling with us, Emmanuel. The very news that these angels are giving these shepherds is news of a Savior, a news of a Messiah, news of God breaking in to this world. This is rich. I wonder, do you think you need salvation? Do you need a Savior? That's really a message that's very contrary to our culture in the past 50 years. What we really need for salvation is our independent selves. I just need to find myself and I'll be whole. I just need to find my place in the cosmos, in the universe, and then I will find significance in self-actualization, and I'll be self-assured as a person. How is that going for us? We've had eight months. Is that how long it's been? Eight months? We have had eight months to find ourselves. Eight months to be to our thoughts, and are thinking, well, the stock market is up, and most of us still have our jobs, and most of us are doing pretty good um, economically. We still have food on the table. We still live in a home. We're fine. We have all this time to contemplate our lives. And are we really okay? You know, 80% of Americans, just surveyed, think that we are in an existential crisis. 80%. 68% of Americans say this year has left them feeling defeated in life. 68%. 65% of Americans admit they've had their own personal crisis this year. Come on, what is going on? We are 2,000 years away from this archaic fairy tale with shepherds and angels. Come on, we've overcome medieval superstition. We have overcome despotism through the rise of romanticism. We have 
overcome the backwardness of culture through the Enlightenment. We have overcome infant mortality and the lack of universal education during the Industrial Revolution. We have overcome major diseases through modern science. We are past this. Right? We're past needing a savior. We're past needing salvation. We've arrived as humanity. All I need for Christmas is presence under the tree. And that's all that this message is good for. How is this way of life working for us? Not to be overdramatic, which I already probably have been. Maybe we need to hear this again. So I'm going to read it again. And this time, let it sink in. Not 2,000 years ago, but now. Fear not. For behold... I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. This is a message for us in this time. This isn't sentimentality. This isn't fake smiles. This isn't positivity. This isn't caramel mochas and tinsel and lights. Christian, this is a deep conviction in our hearts that there is an answer to the problem that is around us. That we are not shaken, but instead joy emanates from us because the Messiah has come. Well, how did the shepherds respond? Well, they went with haste. It's hard to convey in the English how fast these shepherds went and how quick they went. In the Greek, it's very imperative that they are going to see where the child has been born, Christ the Lord. How interesting that they didn't say, well, I'll wait till my shift is done to go find out. No. They went right away. There is immediacy to the news that they're hearing. Again, I find it very interesting in a culture like ours that swims in Christmas. There is a lack of urgency. There is an indifference to the message of Christmas. That some of us here might say, or some people that we know might say, well, there's so many religious messages. Who knows? Maybe one day I'll get to figuring out what the meaning of life is, or if God is real. The Christmas story says this is salvation. God is here. This is the true king. Will you, with urgency... See if this is true. I 
I know I've been challenging a lot here. Let me challenge again for some of you. And know this is coming out of my love for you and my desire for you. Apathy is not a true response to Christmas. If you swim in the waters of Christmas that says hope and joy and peace, and it is divorced from Jesus entering the world, you have no hope and joy and peace. You are lying to yourself in some covering of sentimentality versus what's actually true. And it's hard right now, in this year of 2020, to swim in those waters. Because at some point you got to realize, I don't know where hope and joy and peace is. There's got to be something outside of this world that is saving us. And this message of Christmas says, there is. It has come. And it is working. And it will come again to one day make everything right. Well, after this, the shepherds told others. And I think verse 18 often gets left out in this. And, and all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds had told them. The shepherds didn't get great responses right away. There was still pushback, which you would expect from shepherds. But even with that pushback they got, verse 20, and the shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. They didn't stop from glorifying God because they had seen the sign. They had seen it is true. And they just had to share. They had to praise. They had to glorify God. You know, why did we have those pranks at camp? Well, really because we loved good stories. And, you know, the next week or the next day after it happened, it was the talk of camp. Not to the campers, right? We don't want to tell them we did that. But to the counselors. And it was fun, and we would, we would talk about it and, and laugh about it and all those things. That's what great stories do. That's what truth does. It causes us to rejoice in it. To glorify in it. See, the shepherds are representative of the people of Israel. The common person. They represent us in the Christmas story. So God has come to us. But he has given us something even greater than he gave the shepherds. He has given us a picture fully of Jesus. Not just his birth, but his perfect life, his death, and his resurrection. If the shepherds can rejoice and praise in Christ's birth, how much more can we rejoice and praise in his death and his resurrection for us? I know there's lots of debate out there, right, about whether we can say happy holidays 
whether we can say Merry Christmas and all those kind of things and the political correctness of saying Merry Christmas around. And some of us, you know, we want to say Merry Christmas just to speak against the political correctness of our culture. But my hope is that Christmas and saying Merry Christmas wouldn't be the sense of just trying to exert your power or being able to say something to irk someone. But instead, Christmas, like it was then, would be the talk of the town. That you can't not say Merry Christmas. Because you know that Jesus has come. The Savior has been born. This joy you live in. And that it would just exude from you. That you say, Merry Christmas. Christ has come. There is peace and joy. And you can say to people that are living in a rebellious world, fear not. Fear not. God has entered in and brought shalom and peace. And that would be the talk of the town. That would be the talk of our church. And that would be what we would tell our friends and our neighbors who are suffering right now. Who are isolated. Who are scared. Who are angry. That we don't give them Christmas sentimentality. But we give them the joy and the peace that is Christ dwelt among us, reconciling this broken world. Third shift, guys, we're transformed. Let's also show that we can be transformed and we can praise a Christ that has come and brought peace and joy to this world.